0: Just start by saying I love epic stories. Um, I remember when Mary Beth and I watched the first X Men movie, and uh, I didn't I didn't grow up on the comics or anything, but I remember talking to her sister Shauna about. Uh, at first, I was like, "Oh, X Men, I don't really care. It seems kind of childish and whatever." But then I remember uh, talking to a, her sister. Who knew some more of the story and like the background and the history and oh yeah, when this one I don't remember which movie it is, but uh, Jean whatever her name is dies and well she's actually she comes back later as Phoenix so and, awesome. and there's like all this story is much bigger than I realized. It's not just a little superhero kind of story, but there's a lot more going on. And I remember loving that and thinking, man, this is like this spans over years and it goes. Some of their childhoods, and then some of them die, and then they come back. Another thing I love, like an epic kind of story like that. Um, uh, Harry Potter. I don't know that I'd call it epic, but um, but I love how within that there's this like this world that Rowling creates that I guess is actually not another world; it's a world within a world, um, where Hogsmeade and Hogwarts. Hogwarts. Hogwarts is that. And, uh, but it's just like this whole other like world that us muggles can't see, and it's like um, I, I just like it's it feels like another land when you're reading it or watching it, and um, it's like you almost feel like hey things exist and things happen inside that world even even that it isn't recorded by um, what's it what I say rolling. Um, and I, I I don't know that just that stuff just I, I I think oh what's going on in Hogwarts right now you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, but the best and I think y'all might agree with me or one of the best um, I hope I hope you think is great uh, is Lord of the Rings yes like, okay so epic so good. epic story it's not just like multi generational but it's this other world it's Middle Earth. Um, And it's, you you have, there's background, not just with The Hobbit, but there's even, if you're really geeking out, you can read the Silmarillion and and find out all of the background of the origins of Middle Earth and all this stuff. And it's like, like you could, I could, and some people do, like geek out on that stuff. And just, it's, it's just, I don't know, I love thinking about these huge epic stories. And, um, and a lot of people do. Like, the Star Wars is this huge franchise and all of the DC and Marvel universes and Harry Potter and all these like big stories that span over the years and go on and on. Um, people love that. But there's one epic story that trumps them all, right? Um, the story of Scripture, God's story. And I love it because it's... It's multi-generational; like it spans over thousands of years, literally, right? Um, from the beginning of time, the creation of the world, all the way to the end times, and um, and I love that there's like in a lot of you know how in Star Wars there's Obi-Wan and he's like he exists throughout all the movies even after he dies it's like he keeps coming back in this like of ghostly kind of figure and whatever with the force and. But, but there's characters in scripture, like Abraham, that we read about. Even after he dies, he's continually referred to, and he's this character, even throughout the rest of the story, even beyond his own life, uh, even into the New Testament, thousands of years later. And I love how in, in the Bible, there's, this, there's a setting, there's this whole world that we can read about its origins, we can read a fantastic ending to everything, a creation of a new world. I love it because there is, um, it it took a span of 1500 years or so to to compile everything in it. I think uh, Tolkien wrote Lord of the Rings in 12 years, or a little more than 12 years. Like this took 1500 to kind of put together everything and has 40 whatever different authors. And they're all writing about the same story, and it has multiple genres, and some of them are writing narrative, and some of them are writing poetry, and some of them are writing um, letters, and it's all like in this one epic book, this epic story. Um, I want to tell you something that you guys know, but it makes this story superior to any other epic story, even my beloved Lord of the Rings. And I'm not a total. Audience. I'm not I mean that much of a nerd, but I love it. Liz is just getting into the movies. It's nice work. Um, superior to any other stories, for one reason, because this story is true. It actually happened, right? Um, it's not a myth, all these others are just, there's created things and all these others that I was mentioning. Um, so, like, I don't know if growing up you ever made believe that you were in the land of Narnia, and you think, oh, wouldn't it be cool if these animals could talk and stuff? Well, we, like, read in this book, even in the chapters that we just read, there's some talking serpent, and in a few weeks from now we're going to read of a talking donkey, and it's like, oh, wait a second, but this is this is a, a, a story, a true story that happened, and um I don't know if you go to Universal Studios with your cape and wand in the wizarding world of Harry Potter and <laughs> pretend to do something kind of magic with your little <laughs> wand and something happens kind of magical. It's like, well, wait a second. Like we have, there's supernatural that happens in this story and there's people raised from the dead and there's angels and demons and there's, it's like it, everything that, that one could want in some epic story is actually happening here and actually truthful which is really amazing so it's it's the greatest story not only the greatest story ever told but it's a true story that's been told and I would love as a church to go through verse by verse all the way through the Bible and just pick everything apart and just geek out on all the details and how cool everything works together and all of that um, but it would take we'd have to get together every day of the week and every night for years and years and years and years to accomplish something like that so um, just a reminder, what we're going to do each week is we're going to take this, this reading section that we've just read, we finished yesterday, it was about 24 chapters, and we're going to pick a, a passage within those chapters that we just read to focus on. And it's picked, I'm, I, I talked to some of you, and we've said, hey, what. You know, what out of all of this, of all the things that we could teach and we could learn about in the story, what, what specifically might be specifically helpful to this church where we are at right now? Um, and I want to pitch that as a, that's, that's a reason to be here as opposed to just, uh, you can take Bible survey classes and watch podcasts that will teach through the Bible, um, which would be great and valuable, and I hope that you'll do that, um, and talk to Mary Beth about eternity Bible College about that. Um, but, uh, but what we're doing here specifically is saying, Hey, what, what are some areas that we could focus in on that we already kind of have the context set for, from our readings and what's going to be specifically helpful to us. And so that's where we're going to go. Sometimes that'll be one verse out of the 20 something verse chapters. Sometimes it might be a chapter. Sometimes it might be a particular like little sub story in the bigger story. Um, turn to Genesis 3.15. It's going to be like after your table of contents, just a couple pages. Genesis 3.15. Now, the, the Bible Project videos that we're watching, does, does it, it touches on this verse, so I'm, we're just going to spend a moment here, and then we're going to get actually into Genesis 22. Um, But I want to look at this just to start things off. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This is right after, like right after the decision of Adam and Eve to reject God's commands and listen to the serpent's suggestion. And God tells the serpent in verse 15, he says, I will put enmity or hostility um, between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. A little bit, um, maybe you're familiar with the verse and looked at it, or maybe you haven't, but it's a little bit kind of mysterious of a verse. Like, wait, what's going on here? I think the Bible Project does a pretty good job explaining it. But here we have at the very, very beginning of this huge story, there is an epic battle that is (laughs) presented. Or prophesied about you to say, here at the beginning of the story, that someone from Eve's offspring will eventually be wounded by Satan, but turn around and wound Satan in return. And it says, it says, uh, you uh, will to to the serpent, who is who is the devil, or at least the devil speaking through. You will bruise the seed of Eve's. Heel, he will bruise your head. The idea in that is one is a superior blow. The, the, to be struck on the heel, that's yeah, that hurts and that's that's momentary, but to strike on the head or to bruise the head, that's like a maybe a fatal shot. So, so, um, some 2000 years later, and we know the the story, we kind of read ahead a little bit. Um, if we grew up in the church anyway, some 2,000 years later, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 2.14 says about Jesus, through Jesus's death, Jesus destroyed the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. So Jesus, in, in his death, which we know he also raised from the dead, this was the strike from the, the, the serpent or from the devil on Christ but Jesus, through his resurrection, turns around in that and delivers the, the blow to the head of the serpent or of, of Satan. Okay, So we see kind of the fulfillment there. But this is where we first see in Scripture, I think, that in this epic story of all stories, there's going to be a hero figure, a victor figure. And the early church fathers call this verse the proto-evangelium, which, um, like, proto, prototype is the first of something. Evangelum is, like, gospel or good news. So this is the first good news, this verse. So it's the first gospel story that we see. And all we get here, though, is that there will be a, a seed of, of the woman, a person who will win a battle over... That being that stirred up all of the death and separation from God and shame and pain and everything. There's a hero that is going to come in the story. And he's going to be the starring role throughout the whole story. And what I want you all to know today is that even before Jesus ever like comes onto the scene, so to speak, um, even before he's seen crystal clearly he's pointed to time and time again and we'll notice a lot of those as we go up through the old testament and we'll, we'll miss some of them but this is the, the true story about a hero named jesus we don't find that out quite yet but who's who solves the problem of sin and death that begins here at the beginning of the book and so I want to go to a place, and the place we'll spend most of our time is uh, Genesis 22. And this, um, this is a blatant kind of foreshadowing of Jesus that, that we read this last week, actually just yesterday. I believe. Um, and it's a beautiful story. Again, it... it, it probably to some of you is very familiar. If you were in Sunday school growing up, you remember God testing Abraham and raising up his knife to slay his son and then God stopping him at the last moment and providing a substitute. So that's what we're going to look at today. I want to read or have somebody read uh, just the 14 verses, Genesis 22, 1 through 14. And I want, as, as the person's reading, I want to just ask why would I say, or how could we say that this is pointing, this story is pointing to Jesus? Um, just a quick reminder, God promised to give Abraham, who's a key person in what we're about to read. He promised to give Abraham offspring, um, specifically this son Isaac. And God grants Isaac to, Isaac, to Abraham and Sarah at 100 years old. Abraham and ninety years old Sarah they finally got this, this son, this promised son, and so so as somebody reads Genesis twenty two one through fourteen, just just answer in your mind the question. And there should be several things that we see. How does this story of Abraham and Isaac develop a grander story about Jesus? Like how is it related? What does it tell us? What does it point towards? So can somebody read that the first fourteen verses then?
1: I read it. On the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took it, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, <clears throat>
0: And you can repeat things that you've heard growing up. Like, what do we see um, that that might develop a story about Jesus here? The only son being sacrificed. Okay, so there's a son and an only son being sacrificed. Okay. Yeah, that's, that sound I mean, we don't have to be exactly right on these, but what are, you know, potentially these are some things. Yeah, so and what's.
1: It says, like, um, the Lord will provide for himself a sacrifice. Okay. Like, God provided himself for himself as sacrifice.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay.
1: He puts the wood on Isaac's back.
0: Okay, yeah, that's similar. And so Isaac
1: that. actually carries the wood up to the altar himself.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like Jesus carrying the cross theme. So what we're saying is uh, Isaac is a type of Jesus. Christ. Christ, yeah. What, what else do you all see in there? Did someone already say that substitute?
1: Substitution?
0: Yeah, so So we learned something about substitutionary sacrifice with the ram. Like something can actually... It's going to happen to one party, and then it's actually satisfied by happening to another. In this case, the ram. Um, so yeah, we're we're seeing something about substitution there. Yeah, which is is like Christ. We we understand that Christ is our substitute.
1: This is obviously assumed, but you don't see Isaac resisting at all.
0: Yeah, and uh, and a lot of people think. Um, like, my best understanding as I study it is he's not like some young boy that can't stick yeah. up for himself, but yeah. probably 20 or 30 years old. Like, he's, he's, he's at least a teenager, and he, he could, his dad's 100 years old. Or <laughs> so 115 at this point. So, yeah, he's, he's obviously willingly, um, to some extent, I don't know what the conversation exactly looked like, but he's willingly going to his, his death, which is similar also to Christ, submitting to his father's will, is the thing. Mm-hmm.
1: My legend. It says trauma to Isaac. Question mark. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like yeah. So I, I love because <laughs> yeah. of my <laughs> I think it's. in This is like totally random, but there's two other people that go with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's two, the two thieves that are. Yeah, I read that too. To uh, Jesus on the cross.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. Again, all of these things, it's like. Who knows if it's exactly meant for that but there's so many that are stacking up on each other Um, isaac is born miraculously to a woman who is past childbearing age Mm -hmm. jesus is born miraculously there's only a few times in scripture where god actually names someone well he names he said his name shall be isaac he tells uh, abraham or sarah and you know, his name will be Emmanuel or Jesus in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. They're, they, Isaac and Christ both are headed to their death on a donkey. Mm-hmm. It's another, mm-hmm. or, or at least that's involved in the procession uh, to the death.
1: And most likely up a hill, right? they leave behind. Yeah, I think that, I think he Is that it, yeah. Yeah. What yeah. it says, that it's
0: mm-hmm. up on a hill. Yeah, they're, they're going likely to a very, uh, one of the higher places in the mountains of Moriah, yeah. All right, that's, maybe we could come up with some more obscure ones, but um, also we learn something, especially as we read maybe some parts of the New Testament that refer to this, we learn something about resurrection from the dead. Um, for example, like we're, we're fed a little bit more information in in Hebrews, um, uh, and I think John, where um, we read that Abraham actually... Believed he must have believed that God could raise Isaac from the dead because the promise of offspring is going to come through Isaac. So he's like, if I'm killing Isaac, then God must be going to be able to do something miraculous to, to raise him. Mm-hmm. And so we, we see something about the possibility of, of resurrection from the dead there, maybe not I mean, a whole lot beyond that, but, but Abraham rightly believed that God can raise someone from the dead to keep his promises. Um, this little sub-story in the bigger story of Scripture is certainly some kind of foreshadowing of what was to come. But I want to tell you guys, it's it's more than just a foreshadowing, like kind of like this it happened, like this. This is actually, I believe, uh, it's a like the story as we read it in a children's book or teach it in a Sunday school class. It's it's an incomplete story just by itself it doesn't actually have like there's actually a loose end um, that that isn't addressed in anywhere close proximity to this so i want you guys to look um, what i'm talking about in verses seven and eight um, it says isaac said to his father abraham my father and abraham said here i am my son And Isaac said, Behold the fire of the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So Isaac and Abraham are both kind of expecting God to provide a lamb for this burnt offering. Well, what does God provide in verse 13? Ram. He provides a ram, okay? Now. Ram, lamb. I didn't. I know. So, so part of me thinks eh, it's, it's close. You know, it's close. So, it's just, that, and now to be one hundred percent honest, I didn't. I didn't do grow up in four H. Grandpa, sorry that this is my grandfather here. Um, and I, so I didn't know. I didn't know. Well, what's the difference? To, what's a ram? What's a lamb? and All this stuff. So I'll explain just in case you guys are as ignorant as I am. Um, there's sheep. A baby sheep is called a what? A lamb, and. Male sheep or lambs are called rams, and females are called what?
1: ewes. Ewes,
0: yeah. So, so you can have an adult ewe, an adult ram, or you can have a ewe lamb or a ram lamb. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's other terms that that uh, people use, but but I find it a bit strange that the language used here th- that it's a different word used, like if the st- if the Ram was what they were expecting. Why wouldn't it have said, well, we're, the Lord will provide a ram? Or why is it? Why is it just? A, well, I don't. It's not exactly maybe what they were expecting, but it's it's a it's a bit. It, it seems close, and maybe it's going to satisfy what they're expecting, but not maybe not a hundred percent. Like why? I just want it to be the same word, so the story kind of makes sense and kind of wraps up together. Um, but I believe. Um, that God provided in the ram, I think this is apparent, a substitute for Isaac, but not the substitute that ultimately was, is needed and, and expected even for Isaac. I think Abraham in verse 8 is somewhat speaking prophetically that one day God will provide the lamb. And I don't think it's exactly fulfilled in the ram, But it's kind of like he passes the ball 2,000 years later to another prophet, John the Baptist, who sees Jesus and he says, Ah, behold, the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world, the Lamb of God. And there's a couple of verses in the New Testament that are really interesting that I think kind of give some some credence to this. Um, One, I think that Abraham, to some extent, somehow he knew something greater was going on here and there's hope of a future Lamb. Um, there's this verse in John 8:56 where Jesus is talking to the Jews and says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Like something about him. He knows something. And there's, there's a, another verse. Um, I forget where it is. It talks about how the gospel was preached to Abraham and anyway there's there's something significant going on here but but I wonder if and here's another reason I'd say maybe the ram isn't the exactly what um, the the fulfillment of the lamb that was expected in the story because in the in the story Isaac represents Jesus we're saying and all of these other things Isaac is Jesus he carries the wood he's with the donkey he's the sacrifice but and then all of a sudden It switches to we say well jesus is the substitutionary ram too so how you know both of those things um i just wonder that if the ram doesn't better represent um maybe the old covenant kind of sacrificial system where there's the death of an animal that's a temporary substitution for the death of of the one that will eventually come
1: um, what I was thinking, especially yeah. like in just in terms of knowing the more ritualistic animal sacrifice thing, yeah. the lamb you offer up the one of the firstborn, and lamb is always baby, it doesn't matter the gender. Yeah. But the ram, you usually don't kill the rams because you use them to reproduce. Yeah, and so this being an upgrade to that, like the yeah. normal kind of lamb mm-hmm.
0: yeah.
1: um and him yeah. provides you don't really find a ram with their horns in the thicket stuck and yeah. they're big like yeah. and then sacrificing you usually sacrifice the smaller things
0: yeah yeah that's like a good that's another thing an, is
1: an upgrade for this portion of the like
0: sacrifice yeah 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 that's that's a good point too even on the if his if his horns are caught in the thicket um, I don't know how I, I think it's a couple years and a, a lamb starts to develop its its horns if it's the breed that will have horns, but it's like if it's caught in a thicket, in that it's probably the older. I mean, it's getting up in age. It's not just a another reason why it's not exactly maybe the lamb that they're looking for. But yeah, that's that's interesting. I, I just wonder if 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 that ram is more representative of the animal sacrifices that are going to take place until the time that the lamb the lamb of God actually comes onto the scene. Um, by the way when we read this story y'all people can be really bothered by it and there's been a lot of people throughout history who have tried to kind of doctor it up so it doesn't say so much that like like the whole idea of of child sacrifice it's like well that that's pagan and that was that would be far from the lord and he would he would never even if he knew what abraham that he wasn't going to require him to do that for him to even suggest that or to ask that that's that's horrific and we're bo- I'm bothered by that idea. It's like I don't want to think of God in this way of saying, "Hey, Abraham, go ahead and and bind up your son and cut him into pieces and put him on this altar before the Lord." And it's and not only that, but like if you think about the the emotion behind it all, it's it's, it's not only a son and if that wasn't enough, but it's this promised son Isaac who like we have you all have experienced or known people probably who have experienced infertility, right? Um, I don't know the statistics, but it seems, that, I mean, it's a, its very common, uh, at least for us, to experience this. And you guys know or have seen the pain of, I want children, but I'm not able to have children. And sometimes that goes on for months and people are, are struggling with it for that time. And sometimes it goes on for years. And sometimes it goes on for a decade or more. And like, you guys know the the pain that that could come along with not having children and God not providing what we want in children you think about Abraham and Sarah who's been barren for 90 years and or maybe maybe a little less because she oh yeah she didn't have Ishmael um but she's been they've been barren their whole lives which in their society maybe is even it's shameful and and then God finally provides. He, he says, I'm going to provide for you a son. And he provides a son in Isaac. And then they grow up with Isaac for 20 years or however long it is. And they love him. And he's, he's the, their only son at that time. That they, they love and they pour into. And then all of a sudden, God comes on the scene and says, Abraham, now I want you to kill your son as worship to me. And it just seems like um, that, that's... That doesn't seem right. That seems horrifying. It's, and you think about Isaac. Like, what about Isaac, who, we, I don't know. He's. I'm sure he's done some things wrong in his life, but he's like. He has this heart wrenching statement in verse seven. He's like, "Father, I see the fire in the wood. Where's the lamb? We know what's about to happen, or we know what Abraham's been called to do." And then, if you can just imagine, like Abraham. When they get to the place of sacrifice, to he, he's like, "Okay, Isaac, give me your hands," and he you know starts binding him. It, I mean, it's like, wait a second, what? He's got to be th- Isaac's thinking. This is this can't be how this is going to go down. Um, what God asks Abraham and Isaac to go through. I think should strike us as horrifying and disturbing. And it's true. Like, remember, this is, these are stories that actually went down. Like, these are real people that that this went down with. And, but then here's what happens, right? The angel calls, Abraham, stop. Don't lay a hand on the boy. You passed the test. Congratulations. And everybody, like, we breathe a sigh of relief. Okay, good. God's not going to ask something so horrific to be done. And, He provides the ram and the thicket just in the nick of time and so we think good something grossly disturbing that goes against the character of god didn't have to happen oh good god is gracious and like he names the mountain god god provide god will provide and he has this substitute so he doesn't have to go through with this unthinkable act of sacrificing his son but what i want to remind you of is that the, the story isn't over here i think the verse eight fulfillment of the lamb is is not fulfilled exactly in the ram Um, another reason i think that is what's abraham called the name of the place in verse 14 Mm -hmm. he says the lord will provide this is after the ram has been provided Mm -hmm. he says the lord will provide that's what this place is going to be called not the lord has provided now but the lord will yet provide so I'll say it again, this isn't just a foreshadowing. This story is incomplete, even after the ram is sacrificed. And the event that it foreshadows goes down a little differently in the Gospels, where there's another father, and there's another son. And while Father Abraham didn't have to go through actually killing his son Isaac, Father God did actually go through in killing his son, Jesus. And we should feel even more disturbed and bothered by this later revelation uh, in Christ. Because Jesus, he wasn't rescued by the ram. Jesus, who is infinitely more perfect and innocent than Isaac, he, similarly, he's talking to his father in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's about to realize what's going down. He's like, Father, you know, does, does it have to go down this way? Like, are we really, are we going to do this? Is this, is this what you have? Is this your will? And he submits to it and while well, Abraham could tell his son, hey, the Lord will provide around." God the Father's telling his son, his only son whom he loves, son, you are the lamb. There's, there's not one that's going to step in your place here. This, you are the sacrifice. And so the I think, kind of surprise twist in this, this anti-type of Jesus is that God the Father actually does go through with this mind-blowingly horrific act. Um, horrific and that it's gruesome and unheard of. And like Isaiah says, it was the will of the Lord to crush him, Jesus. So when we read the story of Abraham and Isaac, um, I think we ought not just only praise God just for the provision of a temporary animal substitute. Like, oh good, it didn't have to go down as awfully as I thought it was going to have to go down. But I hope that it will turn our attention also to the true hero of the story, which is God himself in his son Christ, who willingly laid down his life as a substitution for uh, the death of you and me. Genesis 22, I think, is, is one of those examples that this, it, it's a story about Jesus. Way back in Genesis, at the beginning of the book, of the Bible, there's this story that points forward to Jesus. And... Um, as the Bible Project videos often say, it leads us towards Jesus. Um, and there's many other things that are going on in the story. Um, but this, this is a story about Jesus, even way back from the beginning. Um, in Galatians, Paul says, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. We've read that a lot. It's an offspring, an offspring. And then Paul says, it does not say unto offsprings referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, Paul says, who is Christ. Those, those refer, references to the offspring, he says, those are actually referring to Christ. Jesus even says of himself in John 5, he says it's the Old Testament scriptures that, that bear witness about me. That's what the story is, is talking about, is me. And um, just a couple more things to throw into the mix. Um, Again, I don't know that we can assume all of these details into the the type of Isaac, but um, I don't know if you all notice, but after the sacrifice or or after the story goes down, um, we only read of Abraham returning uh, back down to the servants or back down the mountain. Um, We would expect to see Abraham and Isaac do, but it just says something about Abraham. Um, and I want, like, we also read the New Testament that, that Isaac had a type of resurrection, it said. It, it was, it, it was um, I forget exactly how it says it, but it refers to what Isaac went through. It was like resurrection, the substitutes that took place for him. And what happens after Jesus is resurrected and ascends into heaven, but he kind of, he's off the scene now for a while. And the next time that we see Isaac in the story is a couple chapters later, the end of chapter 24, when he's receiving his bride, Rebecca. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder, is that that like Christ after his resurrection and ascension? He doesn't come on the scene again until he's receiving his bride the church. That's the next Mm -hmm. time we're going to see him in the story here. These aren't like, I don't think these are random stories that are just kind of this neat little, oh, here's the Abraham and Isaac story, and that just kind of, wraps up and everything solves there. I think there's much more that it's pointing to. Even, I think it's interesting that the location that's mentioned of the sacrifice is somewhere near the mountains of Moriah. The only other time Moriah is mentioned in scripture, Mount Moriah, is in 2 Chronicles 3.1. We find out that Solomon builds the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. And... Jesus was crucified somewhere very near to that location. If not, I wonder if the same location, but somewhere very near to that, to what went down in Genesis 22. So even here, like in the beginning of the whole Bible, this is a story, and these are stories that are pointing towards something greater, towards this eventual hero that's going to come, in Jesus. Have you stand at the door
1: of the temple? You can see Golgotha, like like it's like in your view, and like you're standing at the temple. It's like right there.
0: Yeah. The yeah. Spot, and if you like some of those, you can look up and you can see. Well, it, it may not have been here and exactly here and all that stuff, but it's relatively close. I mean, yeah. the odds are it's it's right there somewhere, and uh, yeah. So who who knows exactly?
1: It's like the Hesby. <laughs>
0: So there's so there's two things that I want y'all to just kind of walk away in our understanding of of this first week's reading and of tonight. Um, first of all, I think we can recognize the, the provision of God. God will provide, God has provided, even in what we, we read before that. Like God creates man and he provides a companion in woman and he provides food, good food, and he provides work, and then Immediately after Adam and Eve decide to do their own thing, God provides for them coverings for themselves, and He provides for them this this promise of what we looked at earlier, chapter 3, verse 15, of this, this one that's to come, that's to be victorious over the serpent. God's providing, providing. He provides in this story a ram and eventually this provision of the Lamb of God, which is Christ. Like as we read through the Old Testament, I think we should have ringing in the back of our minds. God will provide. God will provide in so many different ways. Um, but God provides in, in Jesus. Um, the last thing I want to... Um, point out is just one more thing that I think makes this story, this epic story called the Bible, the most extraordinary story. It's not only because it's epic, and I like to think about all the details and how they all fit together, and it's not only that it's true, which is more than any of these other stories that I mentioned can say, but it's this, that this is our story. Um, I don't know who's seen that movie from the '80s called The Neverending Story. Um, so in that's another like just epic thing. But um, in in that movie, Bastian, who's the guy that's like reading the book called The Neverending Story, at some point he comes to this realization that he is actually a, a part somehow of the story. Like he's he's making a difference, in what the, like he's he's become part of the story. Um and this this is our story. Like this is our history. Sometimes we think, oh well the Old Testament's it's just Jewish history and but no, this I mean this is the history of mankind. It goes all the way back to include everyone who's lived, and it's our future that we can read about in the book of Revelation. It's our story. And though it's not like we're not recorded, well I am in Genesis five, but we're not like we don't see, oh, then Jared got up from bed that on um, Wednesday and then he did this. Like we don't read ourselves into the sto- into the story in that way. But God has written in his sovereign plan in the way that everything is going to unfold. Jared is a, a person in this beautiful story that he's writing. And Eric is and David, he's he's writing the story that we are included in. Jesus even one of my favorite passages Jesus even kind of mentions us in John 17 when he's praying. He prays for his disciples that are there with him in the first century. And then he goes on to pray. He says, Father, I don't ask for these only, those people here with me, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Well, that's us. Like that word was passed down generation to generation. He's talking about all who will believe. And so like we read, oh my gosh, that's that's me in the story right there that Jesus is praying for. And it's like if you can imagine you're watching Star Wars and um, like Han Solo picks up the subspace radio to make a call and your iPhone rings and it's like wait like how is this working like I'm I'm part of this actual story and we, we get that this sense maybe not quite so really but that God he's he's continuing to write this the story his his plan is continuing and and everything is unfolding according to his plan that he's writing and we can read about what is to come in the revelation of john and so i'll leave you with this if if this story is true and if this story the bible is a story about the person of jesus and jesus is the hero of the story and if this is our story then Jesus ought to be the hero of our story. And so Jesus is our sacrificial lamb. And the blood that made atonement for the Old Testament Israelites and in faith and, and, and the New Testament church is also the blood that makes atonement for us. And God the Father did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. He's the hero of our story. As, as God's story continues to unfold in our lives as he's written it, I wonder, is, is the chapter that, that your life is writing right now, is, that, is it about Jesus? Like, is it pointing to this person? We point back to Jesus. This What we read about Abraham and Isaac point forward. But is it a life that's not not saying God will provide, but is our life saying God has provided? And are we pointing to the one who's rescued us? Mm-hmm. And um, does that define our lives? Is, is that the chapter that our lives are are writing? And spoiler alert: like we can read the end and also know what we have coming. And you know how like people stand in line at Universal Studios to meet their hero, um, Megatron or whoever it is, their their fantasy hero, right? Well, we get to like. In, in heaven when Christ returns we get to stand before our hero you know face to face and spend eternity with him the, the real hero of this real story and live in perfection with him so y'all you know, this is this is an amazing story we're just like kind of beginning it together it leads us to Jesus and we walk in the realities as as saved and as atoned for by Jesus in the realities of this story every day, just like the others who believe in the story. And our little sub-stories going on are purposed to highlight the overarching hero, who is Jesus Christ. So is, is your chapter about him. So, let me pray. Father. We believe that your word is true, and um, I'm just in awe of your uh, your plan and how it unfolds. and um, It's amazing to me how uh, how you you tie everything together, and everything works perfectly according to your plan. And there are no loose ends; nothing is done without a purpose. Um, and we can sometimes grab a piece of that and kind of understand what you're doing. Uh, but Lord, I, help, I, I pray that you would help us to live in light of this grand, epic, true story and that our lives would just be an extension of, of what the rest of what you've written historically already um, is, is pointing to in the Son and Christ and may our lives just be a continuation of that. And we are thankful, God, that you, not only you, you will provide, uh, but we have seen and know and can look back to the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, and say you have provided. And that part of the story is, is, is wrapped up and locked and sealed. And um, may our lives express that, Lord. May they shout it out to the world around us uh, that others may believe, too, in the truth of what you've done. Amen.